In episode 80, Blakey arrives back from Qatar after three weeks on tour. We have a couple of interesting equipment rulings about tape on the grip and using a rectangle shaft. We answer the question as to whether you must hit your ball between the tee markers when starting play of a hole. And of course we answer the GRQ OTW for 79 and of course have GRQ OTW 80 for you to ponder over for the next week. Golf is a test of character before it is a test of skill. And playing by the rules of golf will definitely test your character. Welcome everyone to the GRQ OTW for episode 80. Uh, it's Blakey here uh, and uh, with me is Stuart McPhee. How are you, Stuart? I'm great, Blakey. Uh, good to see you. I think you may be back in your home office. Back in Melbourne after all of your travels. How are you feeling? Uh, I am tired. Uh, I arrived this morning uh, on Etihad Airways. So thanks, Mr. Etihad, um, for getting me here safely. But I am back. And, yeah, we'll just rest up now uh, for a couple of days at least and then get, get back to doing stuff at home, you know, uh, girlfriend's got a list of things that I need to get fixed. So, uh, and then I'll be off to Thailand in uh, probably about 12 days. So we have an international series event at Black Mountain in Thailand, which will be good. You know, I must applaud your commitment. You arrive home this morning and within X hours, you're doing your next podcast. You must love uh, this stuff. Yeah, yeah it's, uh, it's just a way of uh, keeping me awake. <laughs> okay. Um, Whatever no, of works. Course, of course, I enjoy it. And, you know, we're up to episode 80 now, so um, going pretty good. Uh, so, first of all, let's get the GRQ OTW 79 out of the way. What is the question first, Stuart? Sure. The question is on the par 3 third at Wombat Hills, Helen's tee shot might be lost at the back of the green. So she plays a provisional ball that is hold. As they approach the green, Helen chooses to not look for the original ball. However, Charlotte, simply out of curiosity, wanders out the back of the green for a quick look. Charlotte finds what she believes is Helen's original ball and tells her. Helen says, you know what? It doesn't matter anyway. This ball is hold as she retrieves the provisional ball from the hole. What is the ruling? Yeah, so this is a tricky one. Uh is the ball in play or which ball was the ball in play? Uh, because Charlotte had found a ball that could have been Helen's ball, then Helen has to go and uh, identify whether it is her ball or not. Now, to get her ball that was in the hole, the ball in play, even though technically, if it's once it's a hold, it's not the ball in play. Uh, to make that the ball that counts, uh, Helen would have had to grab it out of the hole, pick it out of the hole, before Charlotte had found a ball and let Helen know that there was a ball over here. So a uh, couple of ways to, you know, avoid that situation. Helen could have asked Charlotte not to look for it, although Charlotte doesn't have to abide by that. Helen could run up to the hole and grab the ball before anyone started looking. Or instead of playing a provisional, you just play under rule 18.1 stroke and distance. And then you, there is no 
potential other ball in play. Is that right, Stuart? Yes, yeah, spot on, of course. Uh, clarification, 18.3C2-3. So long as the original ball has not already been found in bounds, the score with a provisional ball that has been holed becomes the player's score for that hole when the player lifts the ball from the hole. Since in this case, lifting the ball from the hole is the same as making a stroke. So it's the action of lifting it out that actually finalises that hole for Helen. And as you said, the fact that Charlotte had found something, wasn't sure if it was hers or not, and the ball provisional that is in the bottom of the hole hasn't actually been removed yet. Um, that's unfortunate for Helen. She needs to go and try to identify that other ball. And I don't want to hear the next conversation between Helen and Charlotte after that. Yeah, that's, that's tough. Now, if she wanted to declare it lost uh, and then take the ball in the hole, can she do that? Oh, you can do half of it. <laughs> she can take the ball out of the hole. Can't do the first bit. Um, I mean, if you declare it lost, the only way, there is no such as declaring it lost, no, no such thing as declaring it lost, but if you do declare it lost, the only way to do that is actually an action of 18.1 and putting another ball into play under stroking distance. I am still surprised to this day how many people believe you can open your mouth and make your ball lost? Oh, still staggered. I, I can. I just say I've been searching for three minutes. No, but no, no, you know what I mean. Like people thinking they can say something to go, forget it. That's lost. Don't worry about it. Don't search for it. I'm going to go and play this one. Um, believing that actually is something they can do. Not the three minutes bit. Just declaring it lost. Yeah, yeah, and it's, I don't know, it's one of those myths that's held on in the rules of golf yeah. community or in the golfing community for a long time. There's a few of them. Yeah, yes. We should do a podcast specifically myths. <laughs> uh, common rules, myths, or, you know, misperceptions, you know, just miss, really blatant misunderstanding because that'd be right up, right up there, I reckon. Episode 81 coming at you next week. Okay, yeah, what have you, what have you got on for uh, this uh, this podcast? I was going to talk a little bit about Qatar and some of the rulings that we had there, uh, and then I think you, I've, I've actually, well, I definitely found... have some clubland. Yeah, def... yeah, yeah. So you got some clubland. I was now just going to say, got, I def... uh... definitely have some clubland stories. But you're the man of the hour. You're the one that's been travelling. You're the one that needs to share some experiences from your most recent trip to Qatar. Try and tell my stories before I fall asleep. Uh, the so we spoke about Oman last week, and then Qatar was a difficult course. It was not only was the rough just long enough, so if the ball sat down, there was all, always a ball search. Um, then there was other tussocks and small plants just off the fairway that meant a further, bigger ball search. Um, so time, pace of play was very, um, it was terrible. It was, yeah, it was. So we we tried to push them as much as we could. You know, a group is 10 minutes behind and then um, you push them into the group that's in position, but six minutes behind. Suddenly, you know, that group is, the group in front is 11 minutes behind because they had two ball searches on 
the next two holes. And then, yeah, you're always just chasing your tail. So we didn't actually get round one or round two finished on the front nine. So the back nine got finished, but the front nine, um, we didn't get finished. So they had to come back on the Friday morning and on the Saturday morning. And I was quite surprised that some of the pros wanted to come back on the Saturday morning, but they were right on the cut line. Uh, one player was on seven over and had hit two shots on the par five ninth hole into the bunker. And our policy is that we have a day, a sunlight, a sunset hour or sunset time. And once it gets to sunset time, then if a player wants to stop after that time, they are allowed to. Okay, so that's one of our uh, hard card uh, local rules, effectively. Uh, and a few did, and a few just wanted to get out of there or keep going. You know, those ones that were keen to get on the plane Saturday morning or Friday night, they just wanted to keep going. Uh, so this player at two in the bunker, par five, greenside bunker, his two playing partners decided that they would finish and he decided that he was going to come back the next day. So he's, you know, if the bunker's been raked, it's okay. Um, you just replace the ball to whatever conditions um, are where your ball was marked. You don't try and recreate the, the sand there. And then he played the shot to about that and hold the putt for birdie to get to six over and the cut ended up being six over. So he made the cut. Uh, then we had a group of three who were halfway down the seventh hole and one was three over. He made double bogey first hole. And then the other two were, one was eight over and one was nine over. Um, no, sorry, one was seven over and one was eight over. I think the eight over made bogey, so he was, he was gone. Then, so they get to the next hole, and I think the eight over made, no, he made another par, uh, seven over, sorry, made another par, and the three over made par. Okay, that's settled the nerves. And they go down the last hole, the ninth, you know, and the, the five, it's five over now. Um, he's fine, he makes par or whatever, so he's, makes the cut in the last dude who's seven over he puts himself two shots in front of the green he's just got a, a basic chip and a putt to make birdie to make, make the, the cut, cut. Mm. hits his pitch shot to about 25 foot <laughs> it was the worst pitch shot i've ever seen like he should he could have putted it closer um so did i feel for him not really because he was slow Anyway, let's move on. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't have much sympathy for people that are slow. Uh, but we had we had these pipes, and this sort of happens a lot in these uh, Middle Eastern countries. They have water pipes running in with their shrubs in the rough, and I mean they're really close. You know, they're about maybe three foot apart. They're running right alongside, and and or near the trees 
because obviously you know some of these plants trees don't get a lot of water because it's dry area and so how do we treat these movable well these obstructions so in some places they're flimsy and you can move them and so that's what we do and some of the players are like oh no no i can't move it i'll just get in there and move it you know it's if they're trying sometimes they're just trying to get a free drop because they're right behind a bush um and it's and we don't include stance so it's just swing and lie so we'll just we'll just get out of the way and just move it out of the way it's a movable structure you know there's limited damage you know minor very minor damage um, might move a rock or something that's a loose impediment might move a little bit of sand when we move it that's fine um, but if it is into the ground enough that it's too hard to move, they may be lucky enough to get a, a uh, drop for an immovable structure. And then instead of chipping out, they are now hitting it on the green. And you, I get frustrated at that. But, you know, those are the kind of situations that you're making local rules for in the first place. You know, they're abnormal situations. If a, a course designed by an architect versus a course designed by a superintendent versus a course designed by someone who um, knows the rules of golf, they would be three different courses. You know, one's looking at the, the playability, the presentation, uh, the playability of the course. And I was looking at the presentation, making sure that all this grass is getting water and all his plants are getting water and it looks nice. And then the rules of golf guys like, oh, no trees, no sand, <laughs> flat fairway, no rough, um, you know, that type of thing. But that's not the case. You're always going to have these random situations on the golf course, and that's why you need to make local rules for them. And, and you know, so the players can uh, uh, know what to do in this situation. Yes, Stuart. The question about those pipes... So you deem them as movable because you could actually quite easily lift them up and move them. And I'm assuming a player, at least one, said, oh, I tried to do that and I couldn't move it because, as, as, as you say, they want to get relief from it. Um, if, in fact, you did try or the player tried and they were really embedded and really difficult to get out and it became an immovable obstruction, did all of a sudden, did you get free relief for interference to the stance then if it was immovable? Or was it only interference to the stance for the movable? Or, or did it not matter? Well, it, it doesn't matter. Um, I mean, whether there's interference, um, whether there's interference uh, to stance, it doesn't change whether it's movable or immovable. Oh, okay, sorry. so it didn't make a distinction between the two. Uh, no, that doesn't matter because you know if it does, if you don't have interference, it can still be uh, you still can get relief from a movable obstruction. Is what I'm saying. If you if you don't have interference from a movable obstruction, you can still move it. Whereas if you have interference with an in, immovable obstruction, you own uh, that is the only time you get relief. You don't get relief from an immovable obstruction when you don't have interference. No, no, no. Of course, but did, I know, did, did you I know what you're saying. Oh, okay. Uh, but one, uh, so the stance doesn't matter at all for either under our local rule. Got it. Okay, so I did okay. actually yeah, clear that up. 
So, so if they're standing, if they're only standing on the pipe, uh, they can try and move it. If it doesn't move, they're not going to get free relief. Got it. Uh, I knew what you were saying. Um, I was just <laughs> trying to, to work out how to say it clearly. Enough. Okay. Um, so, so yeah, so we had those little things. Um, there's a lot of rocks. Like that was a sort of a feature of the course. Um, this sort of rock, you know, it was built on rock effectively. And, and there was um, some of the rock just off the fairway or just off the rough, actually, just off the grass had actually been uh, flattened down, bulldozed, smoothed over. So it looked like, you know, concrete or whatever, but we deemed that an integral part of the course or an integral object for the week as well. So the only artificial paths that you could get um, relief from were the paved ones, the actual asphalt. Um, you couldn't get relief from the stone or the, um, yeah, I guess it's a rock path, a flattened rock path. So um, that was good. I mean, if we'd been trying to give relief for that, we would have been out there for years. <laughs> uh, you talked about uh, ball searches and the rough being as difficult as it was. Did you have any where a player didn't hit a provisional and you had to drive them back, if that's allowed in the hard card, you had to drive them back? Uh, yes, I drove one, that player that was three over and then got to five. Um, I drove him back on the third day on the 18th hole. Um, but that happened a lot. We were driving players back. Um, but, and then a lot of them were playing provisionals. So they're starting to get, you know, a really good, oh yeah, I had a provisional there. Next, if we go back next year, you know, if it's the same players, a lot of them will know the course a lot more and it'll be a lot easier for us. But because it's a new course, um, yeah, they they tend to hit it in spots and they're like, oh, I don't know. And, you know, that's the same as if you and I went and played a new course. We don't know where we're, where we're hitting the ball. Um, you know, on the practice days, you're going to hit it right, right, right. And then on the Thursday, you hit it left or something like that. So, yeah. Um, yeah, interesting enough. So, anything else apart from the pace of play? I mean, the daylight hours were tiny, so trying to fit the 132 players in was was tough. And then you know, we had, uh, so we had 70 players qualify, um, which made it a little bit easier. And then I think we may have just missed TV time on Saturday, but we got it on Sunday. Uh, but yeah, there was. There was a lot of times when, you know, with that pipe that someone was like, oh, I've got interference or there were stake trees and oh, I've got interference. It's like, well, you don't actually, you're just stretching or you, you know, and you follow through and the pipe's this far away. Oh, I'm going to hit it. I'm like, well, they're you exaggerating know, are, you, their are you expecting mm -hmm. to take a nine inch divot from a pitch <laughs> shot out to the fairway? Yes. You know, I can't believe that they would say that, that they would actually say that they, I'm like looking at them and I, I denied relief a couple of times. I was like, no, that's, that just doesn't stand with me. And there was, there was one, actually one was, this is an easy rule because the guy goes, 
He goes, he, this is how he said it. He called me over and he said, is there relief or is there relief from this pipe? No, right? I was like, right, and walked off. <laughs> it was so easy, you know? I didn't have to argue with him. Well, I was agreeing with him to not give him relief. It was brilliant. Yeah, it was pretty funny. I was like, uh, I was like, I like this player. Hey, can I ask you a question? And, you know, obviously relief is a caveat amongst a lot of, you know, all the free relief, and that is uh, whether the stroke is reasonable. And you're talking about, you know, people exaggerating their moves, taking out a nine-inch dip, those sort of things. Do you think you would approach, do you think the fact that you're a pretty decent golfer yourself compared to another referee who plays off 25, do you think there's a difference between those two referees going to a situation where the question of a reasonable stroke is needs to be considered? Uh, yes. Yeah, definitely. I... You know, I probably try a few shots and would, you know, I look at it and go, how could I, could I play that? You know, and the difficulty level is quite hard. Could I get my club on that ball? That's basically what I'm trying to say. Could I reasonably get my club on the ball to just get it out somewhere? And that's how I'd look at it. Um, and I think they were a lot better than me. But I think that a lot of the shots that they have, I have played at one time or not. Um, you know, back when I was a lot better than I am now, uh, I could have some of, a lot of those shots in my arsenal. And so I would probably go in and say, all they've got to do is have a reasonable stroke at the ball and get their club on the ball. And... For me, if I put myself in this situation, could I? Yes. Um, so, yeah, so would it, someone who's never tried to play that shot um, give the same relief? Probably not. Um, and that's fine. That's, that's part of, you know, that's part of the referee game. It is very, at the end of the day, it is still very subjective. Um, I had another one where the guy was like, oh, I'm going to stand on this and hit this shot. And it was from 120 yards. And I, and I was looking at it. I was like, how long is your club? Are you going to hit five iron? He goes, oh, yeah, it's into the wind uphill. I go, oh, well, just show me. I grab the club and then I almost was going to give it because he – he was so close to it and if he'd sort of just pushed his foot back a little bit and it was just edging his foot, you know, rubbing against it. Or And what are we talking about? What's the obstruction? Uh, he, he had a, it looked, I don't know what it was. It looked like a, well, actually, it looked like a sprinkler in the rough, um, but it was sort of like a capped pipe. Um, so I'm not quite sure what it was. Some type of irrigation or drain. And uh, and then he, he, he was missing it by this much. And so I said, well, you've proven your own point. You don't have interference. Um, but it was really close. If he just stuck his heel back and said, oh, I'm going to play a hook shot, I would have been like, oh, yeah, that's probably true. 
Um, but he didn't, so I was like, nah, that's fine, no relief. Anyway, it was good, and uh, we got finished on uh, yesterday, and Andy Ogletree won by three shots. Uh, played really well. It's good to see how well he's played. I mean, he's a really good player. I mean, he won the US Amateur, so he has to be uh, a good player. And then, uh, yeah, now we're uh, now I'm back here and another podcast with Stuart. Yay! So you've got a couple of clubland stories while I've been away. <clears throat> uh, yeah, one or two ones are really not much to discuss. But the first one. Um was uh, this is, I think this is interesting. So you got a player with the normal standard uh, putter and what they've done with the putter grip is wrapped a lot of black electrical tape around that putter grip simply with the intention and the idea to simply make the grip wider. You know, a person got really big hands, they just want a wider grip for their putter. So they've wrapped a lot of black electrical tape. However, through normal use, uh, through no real deliberate action, just using it over time, we now have almost an imprint of that person's grip. Their grip is now moulded into that black electrical tape on their putter grip. And so the question was simply raised about whether that is perhaps gaining an unfair advantage using something to assist with alignment, um, you know, having some aid under you know, Rule 4.3, um, whether that would be permitted or not, given the amount of black electrical tape on the grip and given the fact that it's now almost provides some alignment assistance. Blakey, do you have any thoughts on that? Uh, you gave me a heads up about this one, which is great. So I had a look through the equipment rules and this is the statement about molded grips. Uh, now this grip wasn't deliberately put on the club as molded to the hands. It's simply become molded over time. So provided that the tape is legitimate tape or material that you can use for a grip, and there aren't really too many um, materials. It does. There's no uh, definition of what material can or cannot be used. Um, so that's pretty liberal, uh, but as provided the grip was conforming when it was put onto the club, then the equipment rules say where over time, the face and grip of a club in particular may become worn through normal use. Through normal use, important. For example, a grip uh, may become so worn that it becomes molded for the hands or the grooves on an iron club may become so worn that they are no longer they, that they no longer conform to the requirements in part two, section 5C of the equipment rules. So if you are sleeping with your club at night, holding it there, it's probably not normal use. But if you're going out, playing 18 holes, holding it the way that you need to hold it when you're making a stroke or a practice swing, um, you know, spending two hours at the practice green working on your putting every week, uh, that would also that would all be considered normal use. Yeah, very good. Uh, interesting now, one though. It is an interesting one. 
Uh, it's interesting to delve into, uh, yeah, it's interesting to delve into the um, equipment rules. Equipment it's like rules. A, it's like another pretty, whole Pretty section. technical, can't it, the equipment rules? Oh, incredibly mm -hmm. technical. There's 99 pages in the equipment rules version two of 2020 and lots of numbers. Uh, if you're a rocket scientist, you could probably have a go at understanding all of it. Um, I actually uh, had to. I actually had to look up one before I, I was uh, telling you. So, someone on Instagram has posted a video of themselves using a broken ice hockey stick as a putter shaft. Now, I've had a fair few say, uh, what's the ruling, you know, is that okay? And I've found in our equipment rules, again, a shaft which is not symmetrical in all axes, e.g. shaft with an oval or rectangular cross-section, would not normally be expected to conform to the equipment rules. So a hockey stick, an ice hockey stick, because it is rectangular, slightly rectangular, um, I would believe is non-conforming. It would be interesting if it was a square one though, because if you think about a square in three, uh, four axes, a square would be asymmetrical but in all the parts all the areas between those is it asymmetrical uh yeah if it's constantly breaking the square in half i think it would be they'd be opposite to each other if you look down a square though doesn't it get Jeez, I'm thinking back to year nine maths or something now, but would, like if you just if you draw a square and then you just cut it slightly, like you've got a diagonal, right? And you yeah. just have it just off diagonal ever so slightly. In my mind, that's not asymmetrical. If you stuck it into a okay. if you stuck it in a mirror, it doesn't look like it. No, it doesn't. No. It, it would have to look like a diamond to be asymmetrical, right? The viewers of or the listeners have lost me, I know, but um, there's so what I'm saying is there's eight or what do I say four axes that it would be asymmetrical, you know, perfectly in the center, perfectly in that center, diagonal, both diagonals, but just mm. off diagonal. Anything else? Mm. So you know and. I would think that a, even a square shaft would not conform, but it's, it's probably, very, probably a reason why they're all circles. Yeah, it's it's very loose, um, sort of a shaft which is not asymmetrical, or sorry, not symmetrical in all axes. Shaft, e.g., a shaft of the oval or rectangle, would not normally, not normally be expected. How's that for? Well, we don't want to hang our hat. Yeah. On. But, exactly. But we'll leave it up to you. We are. It's highly recommended that it is unlikely. <laughs> yeah. 
And then put in two more double negatives or something. <laughs> to be, to conform to the non-conformity. No. <laughs> uh, anyway, so uh, I'd say ice hockey sticks, I'd say don't use them as sharps for putters. Uh, now, another one. I had a Clubland story. Uh, this is brilliant. My buddy lost the tournament. This is off Instagram. My buddy lost the tournament today because he got a two-stroke penalty after teeing up his ball within the rectangular area that he can tee up. But the ball itself not going through the tee markers. <laughs> I am 95% sure what he did was legal but couldn't find any info on the ruling. So, sorry, the ball has been teed up correctly in the teeing area. Yes. But when the ball was struck, yes. it physically didn't, its path didn't go between the tee markers. Correct. Is that, the... that, is the, okay. that is the question or that okay. is the situation. And he was... And he has lost an, he's lost an event over this. That, uh, close. But he, it just said that he got a two... Oh, yeah, it does. Yeah, my... But he lost a tournament today because he got a two-stroke penalty. Now, I have footage of Bubba Watson doing this in a PGA tournament. And I bet he didn't get a two-stroke penalty. I 100% guarantee he did not get a... a uh, two-stroke penalty. So, you know, so we know 6.2 covers the teeing area rules and there's not a lot to it, the teeing area rules. But I don't believe one of those rules is the requirement to make your stroke travel between those two points. Does the definition of line of play say you must strike your ball at the hole? No. Or does it, sure. does it say you must strike your ball through the tee markers when starting play at the hole? We know the line of play is not necessarily a straight line either. This is a small, as a small, but as a pro tournament. Yeah, that's. How can they get that so wrong? Mm. Especially like just... when it's an unusual situation, and that would only take thirty seconds to just have quickly someone scan through six point two, get a second opinion. Um, especially when the stakes are what they are. Just because you haven't seen something before doesn't necessarily right. mean that it's conforming not yeah. or non-conforming, permitted or not permitted, allowed or not allowed. Uh, you know, you can't assume either, either way. You can't assume that, you know, oh, well, that people, you know, that's a myth. Right? Yeah, right. Oh, you can declare your ball lost because Stuart did it the other day. <laughs> I mean, it obviously would be unusual. You know, you've got your tee in the tee, a tee ball teed up in the teeing area, turn 90 degrees right and hit it that way. Yeah. That I would mean, be unusual, you know. It would be unusual if it was a straight hole. Yeah. It'd be unusual to do it, but it doesn't mean you can't do it. But if it's a, uh, if it's a dog leg hole, it might be quite smart to do it that way. If, Right. If there's a big tree on the left-hand side exactly, and you go over and tee off on the right-hand side and hit this big cut. Um, and how yeah. about when you see a player take their, you know, with their driver actually mark out the teeing area 
So they got, okay, well, I'm actually going to tee up my ball right at the rear yeah. part of this yeah. turning area to get the maximum angle. Well, a good chance reckon, here they're not going to go through the tee markers. I reckon that I have, a couple of times, I've not hit it through the tee markers. I hope you applied a two strike. <laughs> well, it wasn't on purpose. I... <laughs> um, yeah, that's a, that's a good one. I've never heard of that being an issue, but. Yeah, well, it's it's a good video on Instagram of Tiger doing it and everyone going, uh, wow, can you do that? It was a par five in Japan. Um, and he just decided to hit through these trees down another fairway. And that's, you know, a lot of people don't like internal out-of-bounds. I love internal out-of-bounds. I, you know, I would rather they play the hole as it's designed to be played. Um rather than put other people, you know, walking, you know, imagine exactly. walking down a fairway and exactly. some fucking balls coming in. I think that's the key for me is the safety of players yeah. not expecting a ball coming their way. I agree. In the I face, agree. you know, I think it's the big one. And then, um, yeah, it, you know, and people say, oh, the architect's idea of how you play the hole versus the golfer, the artist, it can be completely different. Maybe so, but yeah, in terms of artistry, um, the rule itself doesn't ban you from, you know, doesn't make you hit through the T markers, but I would, I would prefer it that you um, don't try and go down another fairway. That's all I'm saying. Mm. All right, that's my Clubland story. Look, I only got one more. It was pretty brief. It was just an interesting observation because you don't see it happen a lot, just like what you mentioned, that uh, there's a player just off the green about to just chip on, maybe three, five metres off the green, about to chip on. Um, just behind the hole is another player's ball at rest from the group that hasn't got to marking it yet. In other words, this ball at rest on the putting green could potentially assist the player who's about to play from off the green. Now, you know, you and I know what rule 15.3 says and about players coming to an agreement and, and the like. But this player about to chip said, can you hurry up, please, and actually mark that ball um, and get rid of it for me, please? And that just struck me as that is almost what is the opposite of what the rule is designed there uh, in place. I just found it unusual that uh, this ball could potentially assist him and he said, no, get rid of it. I don't want it there. Uh, you know, mark it, lift it, and get it out of the way. And I just found that quite odd rather than using it to any possible advantage. That's good. I like that guy. We should have him as the role model for backstopping. Right. Uh, so, GRQOTW number 80. What have you got for us, Stuart? I do have one. Uh, GRQOTW for number 80. So, Big P and Andy the Average Golfer are playing a match. Andy, the average golfer, has pushed his tee shot well right and thinking it may be lost, plays a provisional ball, which lands on the fairway, as they always do. When they arrive at where Andy's ball is expected to be, a group on another tee confirms that his ball has entered and come to rest in a very large area of ground under repair. Andy considers his options for taking free relief from the GUR and decides his next shot over the GUR will be incredibly difficult 
So he walks back to the fairway and continues play of the hole with his provisional ball. Big P claims the hole immediately as any of the average golfer has played a wrong ball. You're called in as the referee. What is your ruling? Did you make this rule, this situation yourself? Well, you and I discussed this previously. This is situation. what a, I'm not going to say ridiculous question. What an interesting situation. Well, you and I discussed it before and, you know, I just wrote this up before we came on the air and because we've just spoken about it. So there it is. There's the question. Okay. Well, I look forward to everyone to hearing everyone's thoughts about it. Now, can you, so you, you, you haven't started play of the hole yet, right? Can you call your first ball on the tee, your provisional ball? Oh, jeez. Um, I have to go to item point three. Again, it's one of those unusual situations. I've never heard someone ball. So I'd have to think if there's no, but that's an educated guess. I'm just going to have a quick squiz. This is not, this wasn't supposed to be a question. I was just thinking, you know, because I was thinking, well, the provisional ball always seems to go down the fairway, right? So why can't you just call your, your first ball your provisional ball? If it makes you feel better on the tee because you think you play your provisionals better, you can whisper it you know, under your breath or something. You may play a pro. It says if a ball might be lost outside a penalty area or might be out of bounds. So you don't, you can't, yeah, okay. So you can call it a provisional ball, um, but in no way, shape or form. Does it actually? Is it a provisional ball? Do you get penalised for calling a provisional ball? No. No, because you, no, you haven't started the hole. No. You haven't got a ball in play. I'm going to do it tomorrow. I'm playing tomorrow morning. I'll do it tomorrow. I'll stand up on AT and I'll go, I'm playing. Do this, it. this is going to be a provision. I'll just see what people say and I'll report back to you. And then I want to know whether that ball goes in the fairway or not. <laughs> I might do it a few times then. Get a good sample. I'd be interested yeah. in what people's responses are. No, you can't opinion. overuse it. You overuse it, it will definitely, you know, the, the likelihood of you hitting in the rough will be very high. Yep. All right. Fantastic, Stuart. Thank you for helping me out with another episode wrap-up of guitar. Always, always a pleasure. Welcome home. Thank you very much. For, uh, we'll talk again soon. Thank you, everyone, for listening in.